So um, we were talking the other day with a bunch of other photographers and um, mm-hmm. you'd said some interesting things, you know, but it's difficult when you have a bunch of people talking to just have a conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Plus for a long time I've wanted to have one with you. And then you moved up to San Francisco mm-hmm. to go to uh, San Francisco art Institute. Yeah, that's great. So what is it like to go from, you know, a, a community college to an art institute for a photographer? Mm. Well, the first thing I could think of was the demographic of students. Um, they were a lot younger and it was, it's, it's tough, honestly. <laughs> um, it's meaning tough, like it's, the curriculum's difficult or the pace or all of it? Oh, just to try to put it into like, oh. condense it down into words, I guess. Um, one thing you could definitely think of was like, you can't get a handful of the students that all have similar talents or the same talents. Um, one thing I noticed at Cypress was like, I could walk around on campus and there's a few people who are into the same things, you know, they have some very, very similar experiences. They like, you know, are from, well, most of the people that I actually know from Cypress College that were around my age um, were from like the same high school, you know, um, or like uh, a neighboring high school, like LaSalle or Kennedy or um, a couple of people from maybe like Northern California, you know, but nothing major. Um, I know you get that with a university setting versus a community college, but with the way that uh, SFAI was set up, there's literally space for 2,000, 3,000 students. It was tiny, and they always, the, the number was always kept under um, maybe 1,500 students. That's mostly enrollment issues, academic issues, you know, issues with the school itself. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was very close. It was like an extended high school, but with all like you know art kids and um, yeah, just international students too. A lot of international students. And how does that is it diversity basically what we're thinking about here? Um, like, yes. And how does that change your experience? You know, as opposed to where you, you know, everybody came from, sort of the same place. Um. Well, I never really, just in my own experience, I never really got along with people who all came from the same place. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, we have to go to Chipotle and In-N-Out, you know, Sundays and stuff. We have to do this. And I've never been a fan of the same cycle over and over and over again. Yeah. And I thought it was mostly just a me issue. But it wasn't until even in high school, I would meet people who, you know, from other countries, like, and just moved here, or they, or I've had friends who have also, like, moved house to house growing mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. so that's always been, like, but, you know, I, I have a handful, a handful of those friends. Um, it wasn't in a high volume, but moving to San Francisco, I did have that high volume. There was more conversation on, um, like individual experiences um that's been really helpful for me even exploring my own identity um trying to explain to someone uh 
would like sorry <laughs> trying to explain to someone you know going out to like lazy dog or chick-fil-a is an actual event yeah is very difficult and i didn't know how difficult it was until i got out of the, the orange county setting out of the la county or you know la county setting and stuff that's just yeah. an example um there's definitely more going on from that um i came from like a household that was very strict with like law enforcement and um uh, it grew i grew up catholic but you know <laughs> everybody kind of yeah. did but yeah. um yeah meeting other people who had a very very loose christian background or um entirely like, entirely different religious and um socioeconomic settings growing up right was very interesting for me so the structure was less the same and that was sort of a good thing for you. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, mostly cause I think, well, especially growing up, I, I've always had ADHD. So like that an academic level, it's like doing, staying on one problem for like two weeks is just not going to have it for me. I, I can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, so you're, I'm kind of the same. I mean, you, you're more of a, um, you like to invent a thing as opposed to running a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, that extends to, like, a social setting, too. Like, I, I love my friends that I've grown up with, but, like, I can't be around them for a month straight every single day, you know? <laughs> um, I need it's to be not personal, person. just that your, your brain works that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that was very helpful. Uh, the instructors were also really, really cool. Um, and since there's less students, they could spend more time with you, you know? Right. So, so how, as a photographer, would you say you changed since, you know, when I saw you, how many years ago was it that you were at Cyprus? I think three now. Wow. <laughs> Man, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Um, I've definitely grown in a sense where, um, this isn't like the fault of like anyone I surrounded myself with, um, or the institution Cyprus itself. Um, it's just socially is really hard for me to kind of get out of an inner shell, if that makes sense. Like if I want to explore more on like, um, how to use a Canon camera as opposed to a Nikon camera, I could do that. I have the freedom to do that. But if I want to like, take apart a camera and like only use a sensor and make my own lens and stuff. It would be, there wasn't really much place for that. Sure. Um, in San Francisco is like the opposite. People would be like, what do you mean? You just want to focus on like what you're using instead of deconstructing everything, reconstructing it together and like producing more, um, sorry, reading up more. And then like, uh, contextualizing your concepts more behind that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's, and so have you done, have you done that? Have you got into actually physically reorganizing hardware? Um, a little bit, not as much as not extreme as deconstructing camera. Cause you know, don't really have the funding for it. <laughs> um, photographing with like with a lens slightly detached or 
manipulating in Photoshop in a way that abstracts um, the information itself rather than just playing with tools. Um, I've been doing that. Uh, we've been doing more printing, like printing on the backside of a paper, printing with expired ink. Um, yeah, we, we've been doing stuff like that. Exploring. Yeah, definitely more exploring. And it's been really difficult for me to um, work on the concepts behind my work and like produce it in a way that like actually makes sense to more than just the five people I'm with, you know? Um, I've been, well, I started struggling with that, but then the past like two years, I've been getting better and better with it. Um, so you're, so you, so that was a previous challenge. And so now you're better at creating a thing that is what using the language of image to say something. Yes. And, um, having like artist statements, I always hated artist statements, but why, why is that? Tell me why that is. For one, I don't really like talking about myself and and here we are on a podcast <laughs> yeah yeah well I've, I've grown better with that that's why i'm here too <laughs> um definitely growing up i've been told i need to like um i can't think of the phrasing sorry i like just woke up from a nap so <laughs> no problem sorry about that um it's okay um <laughs> I have, I have a need to like, sorry, I have a need to like shrink myself. Does that make sense? In a space to make room for other people. Um, so I've been decolonizing that out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm still working with that psychologically as well. Um, and that definitely because I've moved here, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's definitely reflected in my work. And I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> well, uh, oh, I don't even, I don't even remember. I, I mean, I mean, you got me kind of thinking about a few things. I, I'm sort of like you. Mm -hmm. One thing you said that I found uh, that kind of triggered me was you're talking about abstraction. Have you gotten into any mm -hmm. of that stuff? Some, yes. Um, mostly abstracting with light. And I usually work with like uh, models and portraiture and stuff. So going away from a commercial setting and just a, an editorial beauty setting to a more abstract setting where it's minimizing detail um, in the beauty sense. You know, like it's, it's kind of hard to describe. The only project, ongoing project I have is um, with like depression and specifically, depression specifically, but like um, mental health in general. Um, and I've been working on this for maybe five years ish. It's just been like something that I resort to if I don't have a shoot. I'm like, oh, hey, I'll take a self portrait or something. Oh, hey, I'll work with my friend or something. Um, and that's been building up. Um, some of the images so far are like, there's a specific mood you can see in the model and they're slightly out of focus or something. So there's no, strict uh you need the subject in focus you know like rule of thirds and all that stuff it's deconstructing some of that to create more um i'm still working on the actual literature for it but there's like just tension on any level if you're messing with 
these cliche photographic theories. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I didn't get the first part. Oh, oh, does it create tension if you, oh. um, you know, like if you don't do rule of thirds or if you, you know, break the rules, so to speak? Uh, kind of yes and no. Um, sometimes it does, uh, especially if like I want to sell the work or I want to, sorry, if I want to make work to like print and sell, um, it has to be condensed down to a point where it can be like an elevator pitch, you know? Um, I, I do a lot of the art shows now, so like people will ask about a work and I don't know what their background is. If they, you know, studied up on art, if they don't know anything about art, if they don't know anything about photography, if they don't. So like I have to condense it down to a point where it's this image um, represents what this model was feeling at this time. Um, it's part of a greater project and, you know, the, these colors mean this. Um, this is why these colors are in this position. And stuff. Right. So it, that's the only time I have to put like focus into sticking to certain rules that will trick the eye naturally. Um, other than that, I purposely like to deconstruct for that purpose. And that's more like a difference between art and fine art for me. Um, that's always kind of been a struggle. But it definitely depends on the audience. Do you enjoy one over the other, meaning making a picture to make money off of it or making a picture just for yourself? Um, they kind of, for me, it's kind of a dichotomy for, for that. You know, it's, it's like I need to sell my work to get my name out there and make money, you know, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I also need to take myself seriously and make fine art to like build my reputation of it, you know? And that's, that's kind of tricky. Yes, definitely. Um, the passion behind those two aspects that go into my work is, has like always been there. It just, it switches, you know, like I'll be wanting to do commercial work for a while and then, when I get bored, I'm like, okay, let's do fine art now for a while. And then I'll go back to like, okay, let's, uh, let's focus on reading up art and like studying and stuff. Okay. Let's do that for now. Um, it's kind of like jumps around, you know, I think it's normal, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they all feed each other on some level. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's cool. Um, so do you know much about that? Do you know much about making money at art? Like, well, let's just break it down different things. Like, you know, if you're, well, what's the, what's the ultimate um, goal for you? Like, would you like to be paid really well for making anything you want? Or would you rather be, would you rather make stuff that other people want you to make and get paid really well? Um, I kind of. Or do you I not mean, care about money? I kind of do and I don't. <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, if you asked me, like, when I was at Cypress College, I was like, okay, I want to make art on the side, you know, and sell it for fun. And then, um, like, work in an ad agency and, like, produce commercial work if or just direct, you know. Mm -hmm. um, just be an art director and stuff and just like that and have it simple, a nine-to-five, and then 
my weekend warriorness is just doing a small gallery here and there, you know? Yeah, your there. thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, the past year alone, I've kind of had to map out what my new path is. Um, I definitely want to keep that on my roadmap where it's, I have a specific job where I'm like producing work or directing work or, you know, something yeah. that I'm getting paid for that pays the bills, um, that I don't have to spend, you know, 10 hours a day, just thinking of a concept, just like, you know, pushing in work and like stuff like that. So it's, it could be more automated than, um, fine artwork, but I do want to have that fine artwork, um, on the side that's doing well, that is creating conversation, that is, you know, uniting people and ideologies and whatnot. That's interesting. So that's a that's something that I, because I don't know much about fine art, but mm -hmm. it seems like just with my experience with photography that that I'm seeing that there's so far maybe two types of photographers that I've been exposed to. One is a type that maybe three, like some people I've met are just brilliant photographers. I mean, I don't, they didn't study, they didn't, they just, they can just, anything they touch is beautiful or it gets to you right in the brain somehow. But then the other two common ones I've met at Cypress were photographers who are just all about how do I make money off of this camera? Mm -hmm. And they're really on it. I mean, man, it's like, they don't look at it to me in my view, they don't look at it like art at all. The camera's sort of like a, a, a you know, taco wagon or a... Yeah, a tool. And then the other side is the people that make really beautiful things. They've studied to do that. And it took a while to learn how to do that. And now they do that. Have you seen that? Which one, which kind are you? Are, are you the kind that selling or are you the kind that's making? <laughs> it's, it's really tough because... I know, I just asked you the same question twice. No, it's okay. Um, I've definitely noticed that too. And it's been really tough because I've kind of been asking myself that since like I made my first, what, $20 for <laughs> yeah. a portrait session. That's you cool. That um, you should have charged them quadruple that, but go ahead. Well, this was in high school. So. Oh. <laughs> Because I've seen stuff you've done. I mean, I've seen where you would just edit some black and white thing. I think I think it was digital that you converted to black and white. It was gorgeous. I mean, and you would spend so much time. Like I thought, isn't it done yet? And I'd be looking at what you're doing, and then I come back maybe an hour later, and it just got better. And mm -hmm. I mean, anybody would be lucky to have you take a picture for them. Thank you. But um, yeah, that's just kind of what I was mentioning earlier. Where it's just I can't really only feel. I'm sorry, I can't only fill one pair of shoes i have to do different pairs to like i could try to stay in one i could just do that but i that's probably not your personality type right yeah yeah it's just not and i definitely have tried to do that in orange county and i worked in la for like two years doing portrait sessions or maybe a couple events and like i just wasn't having it it get feels a like a prison doesn't it it kind of feels that way sometimes but i mean it's not the worst thing. Yeah. Um, it's just not as engaging as it could be. And it's not, um, 
it's a, to a point where I will like grow enough and then not grow. And I just want to continue to grow at a comfortable rate. Right. That's, that's healthy. So yeah. is fine art, this is what I was actually trying to ask. My brain just goes everywhere. So I was actually going to try to ask you, is this fine art why, or why is fine art this thing about advocacy? I mean, you know, and, and maybe the second question would be, is fine art just really like you either kissing a curator's ass or you, you, you speak the curator's language or you live next to a curator? Uh, that's kind of something that I've been talking about mostly with Michael because there's a lot of curators that will, and art critics, of course, who will like be very highbrow and you have to use a certain language to get your point across or else it won't be considered that. Um, and when it gets to that point, I've found it to be feeling like the same exact box that they're putting art into that commercial photography does with yeah. everything else. You know? like, and that'll be really frustrating for me because it's like I went from all these boxes to go out of the box and now you're putting it into a box. <laughs> um, right. And I mean, that's partially with the direction of art in general. Like everything's been done pretty much, you know? Um, yeah. So... And everything's been done for like decades at this point and everything's been being redone. Um, I don't know where fine art's going to go in the future, but there's a lot of exploration and technology and stuff and I'm not really into it, honestly. But um, right. to get back to your question, uh, I'm sorry, what was your question? <laughs> well, no, but you've actually you got, right, you're, you, this is too, People with ADD just bouncing around like pinballs, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> but you got, me, you got me thinking about that. I actually disagree with that on one level, which is that mm -hmm. there's nobody that is like you. And I'm not trying to sound like some, you know, feel-good kid's book. But, like, you with a the camera, there's nobody like you with the camera. And I'm not saying that in a complimentary way. I mean that you're the only you. You're, there's only one you, you know. And... Mm -hmm. Is all the study and all the thinking and all the, does that mm, distance you from, disconnect you from Frank with the camera? Mm. Is that, if that's even valuable, is Frank with the camera yeah. valuable? Like if you and I are standing in the same shoot and you hand me the camera and I shoot 10 shots and you shoot 10 shots with the same exact setup, mm. wouldn't we get different things? Or, or would I think we definitely would. Um, and when people hire you because it's Frank, they just like whatever it is that Frank is, and certain people hire me because they just like whatever it is that Ken is. Mm -hmm. Or is it not that? You have to become something else. I think there's been a, a disconnect with um, the photographer from just being a camera user, you know? Um, I definitely noticed in San Francisco and I didn't really realize it, but it also happens in LA all the time is that if you're established, if you're even older, like you will definitely get work. You will definitely get um, someone actually looking at you in the eye and wanting to talk about your work. Um, in LA, it's more name droppy, which is understandable. Um, but like if, I noticed, especially either at Fashion Week, um, 
it's definitely less in the fine art setting. Like at my institution, it was less. Um, <clears throat> but in just finding work, like if I could tell them, I could try to condense all my work into like three sentences. And it's personally for me, that's part of an Achilles heel is like, it's great to be in all these different genres and doing all this different stuff. But like, how do I tell that to someone who's trying to hire me? Someone who's trying to get commission work or buy prints. It's like, it's really difficult to be like, this is what I do. Cause then I'm putting myself back into a box and <laughs> that's wow. just, that's kind of a double-edged sword in that aspect. Um, actually, I just thought of uh, something you said about advocacy. Yeah. In part. Yeah. Um, I find it pretty necessary um, at this point. Um, I've definitely grown as an activist. Um, I went from maybe in a couple of protests in like LA, I mostly worked during them. So unfortunately I couldn't go to more. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, I'd be at Whole Foods working and I'd be in the break room and I see on the news like, oh, there's a, another rally for a cause that I believe in, but I can't, <laughs> I can't be there. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier in San Francisco because not only is it condensed down, so there's, I could be at the city hall from this apartment in like 15 minutes walking max. Small, the um, setup small, more manageable. Yeah. So um, I've been going to more protests. I've been meeting more people who are like doing nonprofits and who are, you know, petitioning. And I've been able to be more active in that setting. So it's like I've been getting more food to feed my activism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That makes sense. I was pretty starved in Orange County. Cause yeah, there wasn't a lot of uh, plight out here. Yeah, just, just in my... In my surroundings. I know there's a lot of nonprofits, there's a lot of good stuff, but just in my surroundings, that's what it was. Um, that's definitely helped me focus on um, either documenting what's going on for whatever cause um, or connecting. Because there's a lot of mental health stuff that I've been reading up on in the past years, too, that like was a huge taboo growing up for me oh so oh because it wasn't believed in just because it was um the way i grew up was more like suck it up and deal with it you know like very for mental health that rarely works right i mean no not at all (laughs) (laughs) makes it worse yes exactly (laughs) um so that's just like what i've been able to study up on and have um more conversations about more intricate yeah. conversations and progressive conversations on um, and with like different settings like people who are more conservative um, people who are more like they've come from a similar background like my friend Michael we have a lot of uh, jokes going around like on sh- stuff that our dads would say you know like <laughs> very like you know strict be a man all the time kind of thing but like we're both feminists we're both like active in the community in the art community as well and we're both in touch with like just our our real identity rather than suppressing our identities 
you know. Did, do you think that did that create that that your dad's my dad was kind of that way. I mean, he was he was less expressive actually, but um, did that create you and Michael to be similar, or was it just that you were just this way? Meaning of your interests, if, you know, the different things you advocate. Mm-hmm. Just that you were born that way, that this is something you were going to advocate, or is it because of environmental things, or both? Um, it's kind of tough. We've been, like, discussing this back and forth. Because he's a really interesting guy. Yeah. Not to interrupt you, but when you brought him on, I was like, who's, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> I want to have a conversation with him. Yeah. I really thought it he was very smart. He made me think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely been both. Um, I mean, his dad was like a World War II veteran and Korean War veteran, and I think Vietnam War veteran too. And like, so he had a more physical militant aspect, but his dad wasn't like a huge asshole in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, and like, my dad was, well, it was, it's been split up because my, I've had my father in my life, but like he just didn't live or him and my mom were separated. My yeah. biological father. And then my stepdad knew my mom like almost the entire time I was born, since I was born. So like I grew up with my stepdad, but spending most weekends with my father in San Diego. Right. Right. And my father is an immigrant who like, grew up from a very very poor like part of uh, Guayaquil in Ecuador and he was very like emotional he's never been like a psychiatrist before kind of thing you know like he'll be very loving and then he'll be get super angry and like naturally like manipulative a bit um but he's definitely grown and I've grown up with him growing up and now he's like a total like Buddhist and he's very um, you know, it's just that's a huge, that's a huge, uh, because a huge change, right? I mean, yeah, so most people just remain the same their whole life. Yeah. Um, and my stepdad was like, he, his family migrated here during the Dust Bowl, um, wow. from like Oakland and stuff. No, no, sorry. <laughs> Oakland. Oakland. <laughs> Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I remember that the Oakland Dust Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was very stereotypical in that their medicine was a bottle of Jack, you know? Awesome. <laughs> um, and he grew up going against the grain. He didn't like how his family was. His, his dad was abusive, but like his dad, his parents were both very, very smart. Um, they were like working for NASA and whatever. And then he um, started working in like, uh, he started off actually as a save on security officer. That's awesome. <laughs> really funny. Yeah. And then he basically ended up um, being a federal air marshal. And wow. yeah, he completely went up and he worked in that position for like 20 years. So like, he was very on the go and he was like not militant, but strict in a sense. And like, you have to suck it up, but also, you know, 
you can go into your room and like cry. Just don't let anybody see it kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he went from someone very strict and like, you have to obey me kind of thing. You have to respect me and stuff. But at the time, you know, I was like between eight and like 13 years old, like, <laughs> wow. you know, everybody rebels, like, come on. <laughs> what do you yeah. Yeah. Your parents. Um, right. My kid's 13. He's in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, you know, well, that's cool. I mean, um, well, let me shift gears. So like, what are you working on? Like, what are you making lately? What have you been making? Like, um, I want to work with actually the last couple roles I shot were mostly landscapes. Um, we, my girlfriend and I were like, have been pent up, you know, um, we're like we just need to get out. We don't want to talk to everyone and stuff. We don't need to go in a crowd, whatever. Um, we're just going to rent a car. We're gonna go up to the Marin Headlands and just drive and go on a couple trails. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that's exactly like what we did. Which um, which uh, uh, type is it? A thirty-five or one twenty or four by five? My one twenty. Oh, the, cool. The Pentax six four five I just got. Oh yeah yeah oh okay what is there? Uh, I was just this is really great you're saying this because I wanted to do a little landscape thing. Um, mm. What's a good lens for that on a medium format? Like, what's a good focal length? Or is uh, one? I'm the semi last person you want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, just I, I literally just got the Pentax. Um, I haven't even, I don't have any, any filters on it. No, really? Just straight? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and I like, I have filters on all my other lenses, um, even my digital camera, of course. But yeah. like, I definitely need a neutral density filter and a UV filter. Yeah. Um, but it's looking what kind of flat or kind of noisy or. Yeah. Especially with landscapes, the further you get, the less detail you'll get. So especially up here, cause it gets foggy, even if there's no fog. Um, oh, so that'll bring out the sharpness way more and it'll counteract that. Um, but you're thinking like, what kind of filter would just in your guessing would be like a, really drastic like a red or orange or yellow or well i, I shot on color but for black oh. and white, uh, i i'm not good with color filters either i haven't been able to shoot a roll and, and actually seen the comparison and stuff um but i heard that red filters are really good for landscapes that's what i've heard too yeah yeah i was thinking um, about doing that i had a, a really wide angle of 45 Oh, that's um, cool. I feel like I've got like a, th maybe the same. Maybe mine's a 50. Okay. Yeah, that's killer. 45, that's wide. Yeah. Um, I originally got that lens to shoot street because it came with a 75 millimeter and it like was really hard for, it's great for portraits, but it's really hard for me to like get close enough to someone to like get, you know, a, a decent exposure. Or, or right. But the the forty fives were just really really wide. It's like I think a twenty eight equivalent. Yes. So that's a great focal length. I'll have to show you the when I when I get them developed and scanned. I'll have to show you them because I don't even know what I'm gonna get. <laughs> that's just cool. Uh, and was it uh, positive film or negative film? Uh, negative, color negative. Yeah, um, a roll of Pro four hundred H and then a roll of a uh, Kodak portrait. Mm, that's cool. That sounds like fun. 
Yeah. It was. Did you have an intention uh, when you went and shot or just like, I just want to get the fuck out of this house? And... Um, it started off with, I need to get the fuck out of this house. <laughs> but um, there's, it, I did have an intention. It was more of what I find comfort in during this time. Um, I've always been someone who needs to be in nature, who like needs to be quote unquote free. But like, um, I haven't really been able to do that, of course, in quarantine. Yeah. Um, so I think a week ago I went and I, re I rented a bike and I rode it to uh, the beach. And that's, I met up with Michael there. And that was like one of the first times in a long time that I felt like comfortable, that I felt relaxed, that I felt like, and I, I have anxiety and that anxiety was almost gone, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that I shot that day too. Uh, but that is actually going to be a submission for, um, I don't want to say a show. I don't know if they're doing a show or a gallery, but basically a contest, um, for blue moon camera up in Portland. Um, oh. I, you know, you label it comfort, like what do you find comfort in during this quarantine and then you shoot it and then you send it to them. And um, it's an each role is an entry to win like a free year of developing and or scanning. Oh, wow, <laughs> significant, yeah, right. Wow, that's cool. Um, uh, just so you know, I should have told you that this is a podcast, so I'm yeah. not going to use the video at all. It's just going to okay. be just our voices. Okay. But I like the video so that we can have that human, you know, yes, thing. This helps. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather do this in person, but and I would totally drive up to San Francisco and do this with you, but, uh, you know, the COVID-19 thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which let's talk about that just a little bit, uh, because it's a podcast and this is sort of a, it becomes a time capsule as soon as we make this, you know, I mean, just real briefly, what's it been like for somebody with anxiety to be in, in like a, near an epicenter or in an epicenter of the end of the world? Um, it's actually been pretty interesting. Uh, I've been realizing this. I talked earlier about like refocusing on my identity, um, rather than kind of filling in whatever I wanted to be growing up until maybe 21 is like when I moved up here. Um, so I grew up, like I mentioned earlier, my stepdad was very like, in tune with everything he's always reading books he grew up like a nerd pretty much reading a closet full of comic books and novels and whatever sci-fi novels and stuff and he taught me along with what he knew and then that included with the um government slash military experience that he had right um it's like you have to have a go bag ready you have to do this you know when um shit hits the fan, you can't really listen to the media as much, but you like have to know how people are gonna act and react. And you have to be, um, you have to plan like five to 10 steps ahead and have a plan A through C, you know? Um, so growing up, that's always been a case. If there is any kind of small panic, I like snap into it. I spent, I don't wanna, I usually uh, summarize it as like training, quote unquote, but it wasn't, conditioned in a setting like um like a soldier is you know 
I was, yeah. I didn't go to boot camp. I didn't do all that. But like, I would mentally have to train myself to react a certain way in settings to know where things are to, you know, not basically to fight instead of take flight during, um, you know, when, when sorry, when anything happens. Yeah. Um, so with that, along with um, my mental illness, which includes anxiety, which extends to paranoia, it's like if I'm walking down the street at 3 a.m. in a city, I'm already paranoid. My mind is... I know. This has to be heightened by all this. Well, this is just before the pandemic. Um, so I would always uh, hope for the hope for the best, but expect the worst, you know? Yes. Um, I'd always be prepared with stuff, but like that just, especially in a, in a setting where there wasn't a pandemic, where there wasn't an emergency, it would be kind of weird, you know? Like, uh, not in like a doomsday prepper sense where I'm actually going out and buying stuff. It's just like, in a mental sense, it was kind of weird. Like, you don't need to, you, you don't need to stress over these things, whatever. I get told that. And, I would be working on that. I have been working on that. Um, but maybe the first week that the pandemic broke out, yeah, immediately going into like a mode where I need to do this. I need to call people that <clears throat> I can't disclose information, but you know, that um, I can go to or meet up with like sure. if stuff really you goes. Had to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Right. So like that's been going on, that happened the first week and so, and then um, I had to like hold the rails a little bit. So I'm like, okay, if I go, if I start rushing into things, then I'm going to just have nothing to do, you know? Um, but also, especially with like the, a couple near death encounters I've had, <clears throat> I've noticed um, that, the law of don't panic <laughs> definitely helps in every single setting. <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah. If you can, if you can get to that space, you'll make such uh, it'll be just way better decisions. Right. But um, a lot of my anxiety has actually been relieved because of that, because it's like no longer in my head. Mm. And it's a bit selfish to say this. It's no longer in my head. It's like happening, you know? So mm. that's interesting. So had it never, happened it would just be this potential thing yes exactly and that would be kind of irritating yeah it, it's been irritating i guess it's <laughs> <laughs> a nice word you know irritating <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's been really weird personally to be experiencing that to like be actually calm during a pandemic and i mean this doesn't i i still have concern and like my prayers are still out to everyone who is affected directly and the lives that have been lost. And I still want to continue to provide resources or information to resources for everyone, of course, and like all that, but like on a mental illness aspect, it's been a bit relieving to not have to fear something that is invisible, you know, that is potential. And isn't that at the heart of anxiety? It's, it's the, the fear it's the of thought of you're resisting this thing. You, there's no reason to resist it anymore. Yes. Exactly. It's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. 
I get that. Um, have you had anything stripped away, any cycles, as you said the other day? That, and that was one of the words that caught my attention, cycles, you know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I began to think about that when you said that the other day. And, um, and I'm really into that. I, I just never really believed in most cycles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm including a lot of stuff that maybe a lot of people really believe in, like money and yeah. society and government and, mm-hmm. you know, I just sort of believe in like my, the people that I love and myself and yeah. it's being real, you know, it's being real. I'm yeah. not saying I'm going to live a different way, but in my head, I'm never put a lot of importance on cycles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get caught up in it like everybody else does. It's work's been one of the biggest things for me. Um, you know, I I started to get into the cycle where it's like I wake up, go straight to work. You know, like I work, and I I do like working. I do like having the bills paid. But personally, product photography is just isn't for me. Doing the same thing over and over and over again with like I need to like be some kind of creative (laughs) um but you know I've been working at my job now for what four months five months and I still plan on working there it's not like it's the worst thing in the world I've had way worse jobs sure um but it was I don't want to say miserable is too strong of a word but it was just like boring and I was just starting to dread it working you know and just do this every single day every single day like day in day out and then go home too tired to like go out and do stuff but also not tired enough to go straight to sleep you know (laughs) um and in in a general sense I did like it prepared compared to you know working two jobs in the same day and then um being awake until like 3 a.m doing homework like doing projects uh organizing um freelance shoots like and just barely getting by or not being able to make bills and stuff um that was way more stressful way more anxious for me but it just getting in the same cycle is like it's a bit of a a culture shock for me for myself (laughs) right because I yeah I only have like one job one day job I should say and then freelance and that that's it so like it's been really weird doing that um and kind of only talking to the same people has been a bit difficult for me before this all broke out um and seeing the same things come up on YouTube newsfeed on like the news come up and over and over again. And like everything was kind of just, I mean, there'd be some curveballs, but like, especially one thing that I've definitely noticed more is how people aren't aware of their own sense of reflection and or like privilege. And that's something that's definitely been prevalent in, like, for Americans, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. And to see that completely undone is just very interesting to me. Why why is that? Well, because it's, 
hard to put into words, but like people in other countries are like, oh, I can't go to concerts every night. You know, like they, they don't think about that. And Americans like, oh, great. I can't go to that, you know, Jamie's party. And then I can't go to like, And it's, I don't know, I kind of, I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> I, I, I'm sadly, I missed a little bit of that because the thing froze, but um, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I was, a, I, I guess what I heard when you said that was, I began to think about all kinds of cycles, you know, mm-hmm. education or getting in a 30 year fixed loan or mm-hmm. just all these things we're expected to do in a society. And it's, I feel like it's been all sort of stripped away in the last, maybe not for everybody, but. I mean, yeah, especially with education, it's been, you have to, you know, you graduate high school and maybe a year off at most, but then you go into university and then you get your degree and then you rumorly get a job, <laughs> you know, and then you have to pay your loan right away. You, know, you have to like get on that and you have to get on your payments and you get a car, you get on your payments and you, that doesn't get dis- like disrupted at all. And then now it has been, um, you know, interests on loans are getting suspended. Um, graduations for everything are getting like suspended. Um, they're saying that college entrance next year is going to, they're not going to look at SAT and stuff like that for seniors this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And like in New York where they're, you know, have this huge surge or where they were, you know, they were letting people do medical work without, and they're going to check credentials later. I heard about that. They're like letting, what, fourth year medical students or something. And um, my girlfriend was discussing with her mom yesterday that that doesn't make any sense because fourth year medical students, like, they haven't done residency and they haven't, they don't have like experience doing that. I mean, they could do maybe some nursing work or like some assisting, but I don't know that. And the news didn't, you know, say exactly what they're going to be doing. Exactly. It could be more reasonable than the worst assumption. Right. Right. But there's still that worst assumption going around. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing. I totally, I agree with the thing about, everything you see it everywhere and that's actually one reason i began making these more often is you know it's just um i got sick of seeing it was just all the same thing on social media yeah uh, even the news is just now the same thing everything became the same thing mm-hmm. and so i thought well let's just talk about something else plenty of that other stuff <laughs> yes, i agree <laughs> and uh and then, and then what you just said too about, you know, like I just talk to the people in this house and my neighbor over the fence every once in a while, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's important for people to talk to other people during this, you know, for stress. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely helpful too. And you aren't at like, for someone who's a non-essential worker, you aren't, you know, at a job occupying your attention all the time and it, right and, and, and my friends that do that like in the, the grocery store and stuff like that they'll come out of chat like this and they're like 
what do you guys, why, why are you guys stressed out? Because they're totally um, around people, new people every day. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are just sort of like, for me, God, I'm on, I lost count. It's the 30th day. I don't even know how long I've been not, you know, socializing. You know, yeah. But uh, thank goodness for things like this. But it puts everyone on a similar synced schedule, which is something that, like, a lot of people haven't had. Yeah. In a while. Yeah, there's a, there's a definitely, in this country, I've felt at a certain point there's a lot of division. Mm-hmm. I feel like this thing kind of gave us a global unity in a sense for some, some still kind of are doing their own deal, but you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they'll give in. <laughs> I mean, how can you deny it? I mean, it's like people are dying all over the place and, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, um, and you know it was great hear, hearing you too. What, what was it we were talking? We did a chat with um, Cypress College people. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was great because you know I I was interested in hearing what you were talking about as far as what you're using for your camera and mm-hmm. what kind of things you're taking pictures of and stuff like that. You know. Um, then we have other friends from our mutual acquaintances that they're more in the business of photography, you know, than actually making pictures anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really good to t- chat with you guys. And what you guys said two weeks, maybe, or maybe we can have. Yeah. I'll have to do another one. Yeah. I, 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 that's the other thing I would try to create with this is some kind of a new normal. So like every Wednesday or whatever, I don't know what day it would be maybe twice a month, you know, whoever shows up, sit around the Cypress College couch and bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely need that because, <laughs> like I said, it's been, people's schedules have been hard to to organize with, you know? Like, oh, I, I actually work nights, you know, I work graveyard shifts. Okay, well, I work during the day, like, you know? Yeah. Uh, but... This is good. This is really good. I'm glad yeah. we got to, we're going to get to talk more. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, last time I saw you years ago, you just bought a Fuji camera. Did you ever you still have that? Or Yes, I, I do. Um, I got that, let me think, uh, between four and six months after I moved up here. Um, and I've been using it ever since. It's been great. Um, all the research I did, and I think you saw most of it. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it like, it's been such a great experience for me personally, and it's been a more advanced tool for me to get accustomed to using. Um, That's interesting. How so? Because I always think of that camera as being kind of this real user-friendly, you know, it's got the knobs. It it definitely is user-friendly, but it it has a sense where it's like, if, sorry, it's like tough to put into words. (laughs) More sophisticated um, than your previous? Yes, definitely, and more ergonomic, and it's just been more instinctual once I got to learn the tools. 
there's some, I will admit some aspects like some autofocusing will annoy me a bit. From time to time, it won't focus fast enough, like one out of every 1500 shots, you know. Okay. It, it's not that noticeable, but for me, using it all the time, it is. Um, but I used to have like a, a Canon T5i, which I loved, but I wouldn't be able to, you know, create the resolution that I personally wanted. Okay. It just wouldn't have some of the tools that I wanted, but that's why I had to upgrade. And then um, other than that, you know, I'd use the school's cameras. And, yeah. just, and I'm very grateful, and I would be very, very excited. <laughs> um, but it, every now and then I'll remember, like, oh, I have to return it just for a week or so. And then <laughs> it, it wasn't mine, you know. I, I wasn't able to, to use it 24-7 to save the settings that I have. And I have been with this and um, I actually love it so much that I recommended it to my friend, Michael, cool. and he hasn't bought a new digital camera since I think 2008 or something. <laughs> That's cool. Right on. <laughs> um, and he got, I have the SLR version of the XD2. Yeah. He got the X Pro 2, the rangefinder version. Oh, no shit. And he like has loved it. He's completely, he's like, I haven't been excited for a new camera since, like, is that like 2008 or something, like a long time. How ago. did Fuji do that? Because I don't believe in cameras, you know, but that camera, I just love taking pictures with my little Fuji. Like, how did they do that? You, which one do you have again? I just have a little pocket, little XT1, the T100 or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, I realized that they had, they're onto something. Like, they somehow made the experience. You know, I don't really want to pick up my Nikon all the time. You know, this, mm -hmm. these Fujis, you just want to pick them up and use them. It's like you're starting all over again. Somehow, how do they do that? Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with it. <laughs> it's like magic. Um, it's definitely felt a little closer to having an analog camera when you're like between beginning and intermediate photographer, I guess just in the sense where it's like you have a passion for it, you have curiosity for it, you like want to shoot more than like, it's like lifting up an arm for you, you know, where it's like, oh, I, I want to shoot this thing, cool. And it's just, it's not boring, but it's just there. You know, it's just an extension of your yeah. everyday. Um, shooting Fuji has definitely gotten back some of that passion that I had when I first got a camera, you know? Yeah. That's and it's just a digital camera. It's just yeah. It's got f-stop. It's got shutter. I don't know. When you look at it, you just feel like you want to pick it up and use it. I don't know why yeah. that is. Well, I mean, I'll I'll um I'll get really picky after a few months to a year of using any tool. Honestly, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be grateful for what I have. I'm still very humble in that aspect, where it's like I. Every now and then, I can't believe that I was able to afford, you know, my own digital camera. Like, it's crazy sometimes, but I'll still get picky. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will like the experience of analog a bit more in the sense where I don't have the preview screen. I don't have to really rely on batteries, but shooting Fuji is the closest I could get to shooting film. Right. So that's why, like, I, I love bougie so much and usually i'm you know i shoot canon but 
I love Fuji way more. <laughs> I know. It's the strangest thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get it. But uh, I like that brand, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and so that's what you're shooting. You shot those two rolls of film. And then do you have plans for shooting anything in the future that, that you're able to talk about or um, direction of shooting? I want to... I've, I've been kind of procrastinating a bit, but um, I'm in... I've been talking to uh, one of my peers from SFAI. Um, She's working on a project uh, focused on frustration and the experience of having your institution closed down, basically. Um, And since we can't shoot, (laughs) and I've like, yeah, yeah, she's more our art tech major with a minor in. I believe painting or drawing. I can't remember which one. Um, but she has very minimal experience with photography and that's how we met was like, she needed help with photographing stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down. Um, so I'm gonna take some more self portraits for that. Uh, that's the next project that I have in mind. And then um, <clears throat> one of the art shows that uh, is called Trap Art was supposed to happen in April. Um, it got pushed to ju- wait, yeah, June, uh, the end of June. So if things die down by then, if we could go back out, um, I'm going to be doing that too. Sweet. Here's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Can going to art school, shooting, you know, with the conceptual mindset of advocacy, uh, yeah, attending shows and, and, and having your own shows, can that all become the same picture? Can that all become sort of a box? Mm, in a sense, yeah. Because then the thing you could think of is if I become like a documentary photographer, where I, which I have a lot of respect for and inspiration from documentary photographers, um, but the ones that I find most inspiration from had their own artwork and they ex- use that experience to extend it to something else. Um, I've already kind of felt a little bit of that. Um, I've been shooting uh, for Jackie Fielder and her campaign. And like... Tell me about yeah. it. Who is that? Who's Jackie Fielder? Um, she is a democratic socialist uh, running for California senator. Okay. Um, she doesn't take any money from big banks and she is like, I don't have my, uh, my script, but <laughs> I personally don't, I have, I have a historically don't really follow politicians. Um, but learning more and more, it's just, I, am able to, and I am actually passionate to working with her, you know, like I believe in her policies and what she is doing and what she wants to do, what she has done. Um, She doesn't take money from like big banks. Um, She's working for the people basically. Yeah. She's backed by like, I think 20 to 30 different kinds of, unions and nonprofits and like campaign other campaigns and other um 
mayors or senators and stuff, you know, like who have very, very similar policy. So it's been really cool getting to talk with her and like her campaign manager and photographing her, even though it's mostly for social media and it's like, I can't get super conceptual and super artistic with it, but I'm every now and then I'll get a photo that's like, you know, slightly different that I'm going to keep in a separate folder. I'm still, I still send them all my images, but I am going to keep in a separate folder and build that up as I go along the campaign. That's sweet. Yeah. I have a final question for you. Mm -hmm. And it might go, you know, we might jag off to something else, but uh, social media and, and photography and fine art. And uh, Mm -hmm. so it's sort of double tiered, like, you know, your thoughts on social media and photography and separately, you know, fine art somehow, or has it, you tell me, has it sort of somehow kept itself from needing to use social media or is it something that it's missing out because people have to see a thing for it to be validated? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about just throwing a bunch of stuff out there for this final question. Yeah. Yeah. It's been difficult because um, as you've known, like I've had five feet in different doors, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's been, I'm still learning along with everything that we're talking about, I'm still learning. I still need more. Sorry, I still need to learn more about... You're chasing that stuff. Yeah. Um, But before, especially with commercial photography and social media, they definitely have grown to need each other, especially in a time like this where everything is now online. Um, People need to see it. A general audience and paying customer need to see it. Um, For fine art, it's definitely had its own niche in social media. A lot of these fine artists that I've met and like instructors who are amazing fine artists I've met have a hundred followers or whatever, you know? Right. It's not as big of a thing, but those, um, I think 10 of those hundred followers are like millionaires or something, you know? And that's all they really need. And they still have that human interaction or the direct interaction where they have like each other's in a group chat kind of thing, them and their five friends. And that's all they need. And they still put on amazing art shows. They still are putting art in SF MoMA or, you know, MoMA New York or stuff like that. Um, And then there's other artists who I've met who um, are doing like, tours of shows and they still have 17,000, 50,000 followers or whatever. They still like are producing and engaged in the audience online as well as in person, which um, I've found is a bit tantalizing because that's like, wow, you know, you could actually do all this and you aren't like coming apart at the scenes. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's something I'm definitely trying to work towards is to be able to kind of juggle <laughs> a bit better. <laughs> right. But, but it's definitely Do you think that institutions will someday need social media more than they do now? Institutions like MoMA and I mean, is that is that whole way of looking at imagery going to be that way forever until we're dead until our kids kids are dead and all that or will it evolve and change 
I think the whole social media online movement has a bit more growth in it before there's an artist movement to go completely against it. That makes sense. Like there is whole um, realist and, you know, once photography became a thing in art historically, like it was like, everything has to be representational. Everything has to look just like life. And then there's a complete like da da, you know, <laughs> like everything's the opposite now. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's gonna be the exact same because it's like there's always definitely been a few decades of people who are like, no, I don't touch any kind of technology, everything's in person. I still handwrite letters kind of thing, but there's definitely been it's grown into a more general uh, group where it's like things have to be bigger to kind of recognize what it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I figured I'm, I'm old, you know, but I mean, for something like you, you're going to have to navigate all that. Unfortunately. Yeah. I'd much <laughs> rather just <laughs> not. And it's dynamic. It seems very dynamic. That whole thing. I mean, I've, I've seen the internet mess with, you know, the entire music industry. I've seen it mess with, television and film like in a major way you know i mean look at netflix i mean that was like a kiosk at the grocery store and now it's like you know they're they're the ones making tv they're the ones paying out ensemble you know yeah um that always trips me out i really wish i was able to see that but <laughs> you wish what you wish what like the beginning of the internet and stuff and just you know have everything completely undone but now it's online in a digital entity Right, right. That's just so like cool. I wondered if that's going to happen to art, you know, the art culture, fine art, all that. You know, like when the screen is literally, or maybe it already is, you know, like the human eye, mm -hmm. uh, and it's cheap. You know, do you need to go see the Mona Lisa at the Louvre, or can you just see it from your screen? Is it any different? I think it's, well, I'm really interested in to see where it goes, because there's, definitely been a few fine artists that I know who like are now implementing like multiple screens who are um, implementing like servers and like a digital aspect to an installation and a piece of work where it's like there was one piece in particular I remember seeing at SF MoMA with um, it was a projection going down and it would like change color depending on where you are in the room. And the way it detected where you are in the room is you had to have like a headset and there is um, a custom electromagnet in the center of the room and how far away you were from that, it would produce feedback in your headset. So you would be immersed with it and also uh, auditorily and visually. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's a teacher that, I think she, I think it was the last class. What was the last class you and I took? Who was the professor? Mm, I want to say Will, but. It wasn't Will. It was a woman. Justin? Who was it? Was it Justin with the contemporary art? No, it was, I wasn't in that one either. It was, um, mm. it's horrible because I did a podcast with her and she's. 
my brain's just so screwed up. You know? I mean, I don't know either. But... Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Frank. You're much younger. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, well. Um, now, now I'm trying to stay on my train of thought here. She, because she, oh, 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 oh. So she asked me a question, or she said something that I found really interesting. You know, it, it was Renee. 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 Um, Renee. It was Renee. She. She. Mm-hmm. It was workflow. Maybe you weren't in workflow, but we were all sitting. In that, had, uh, oh, was it Lisa? No, it wasn't Lisa. It was mm-hmm. Renee. Renee did a workflow class. Uh, weren't you in that class, or were you not? Not that you weren't. You weren't. Anyways, I did a podcast with her, and she said something really interesting to me, which is that she said that she and she's a photographer, she, fine art, and she said she's never ever been to a museum mm-hmm. and seen anything that had the same type of effect of like going to a concert and hearing the thing. How about you? Yeah, that's really interesting. They're definitely one is more calming, and then the other one's more social for sure. Um, I guess that's why I like going to museums and shooting concerts. <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, because well, which one's more calming for you, and which one's more social? The, the museum is definitely more calming. The museum is definitely where I would go to like find inspiration or learn with or without friends or family, you know? Um, but the concerts where I would like go to like release energy or I would need to jump in a mosh pit, you know, or like, <laughs> like, like punk rock, you're thinking like punk rock or um... either punk rock um, or hip hop or rock in general. Um, but yeah, I just need to go and you jump around and you just scream at the top of my lungs and, you know, enjoy it and have that experience. Um, have you ever um, listened to a music like some people like music and it's sort of somehow sort of like reading a book or watching a movie where they get kind of a uh, an energy out of it, you know, like it's different than looking at a picture or a mm-hmm. painting or a drawing, you know, um, does this, are you that way or are you more visual type? Um, I think I am more of a memory type, actually, because I didn't, I used to hate listening to live music on either, you know, a CD or like streaming it or whatever. I, I hated listening to live music because I wanted to listen specifically to the artists and I don't want to listen to like people screaming or whatever. Um, what the recorded version right it wasn't it wasn't until i actually went to a concert <laughs> that i started actually listening to live music right um i don't listen to it all the time anymore i went through a whole phase where i just listened to nothing but the live music being played because it was it wasn't i could see the artist was like you know sweating i could see that they were performing as well as making music and it's like everyone was in sync and everyone at the concert was in sync and having sharing this experience and I could kind of close my eyes and not be there, but, you know, try to be there or to try to share that experience too. Right. Um, now, not so much. I'd much rather go see them live, <laughs> but my positions definitely changed from that. And I you used to listen to a lot of music. Yes, I still do. <laughs> you do? 
<laughs> yeah. If you're listening to music, like a radio hit song or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then you look at an image, if you compare those two experiences, listening to a recorded performance and looking at an image, do they hit you differently or do they hit you the same? They definitely hit me differently. Um, Does one hit you deeper than the other, if that's possible? I think being at a performance hits me deeper than looking at an image um, and or listening to music itself. Um, There's been exceptions, uh, for sure, if the performer wasn't good live. (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, and there's a combination of if I'm driving up PCH, blasting you know my favorite song on that artist and i'm just singing along like that experience is going to be way better or i'm with my friends in the car and we're all singing along that experience is yeah. going to be better. It's trans- transformative somehow isn't it yeah definitely yeah now i'm the same way you know music hits me pretty deeply mm-hmm. it can sort of snap me out of a depression or it can make me cry when i probably should be crying can't mm-hmm. And imagery doesn't do that for me very much, you know. And why do I keep taking pictures if that's the case? Oh. I'm a musician as well, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, isn't that interesting? Aspect, I find that really interesting. Um, I think it's music hits me a bit more. It makes me more emotional. Sorry, not more emotional, but it hits me more consistently, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. Um, there's very few images that there's definitely definitely still is a big number of images that I can see and like get goosebumps or, you know, I could cry or like I could, it really can hit me even without music. It's just imagery entirely. Um, but my mind also goes into the aspect of like how that image was created, the context behind it and like what it can or does represent. So the part that makes images comes up that part, that type of thinking, yeah, as yeah. well. And most of the images, especially in the past like year or so, have been um, documentary photography or like uh, images that have a political purpose behind them. Um, uh, Is that because that's a truth? The documentary things are. They're a document of a, a slice of time as opposed to an abstraction. Is that why you think it's, do you think that's maybe why it's affects you deeper than? Or, I think you know? certain images that I'm thinking of were like issues that have, that still remain issues for the past like hundred plus years, you know? Um, there's definitely some documentary photography photographs that I've seen that like weren't as powerful to me but were still like really cool um, there's definitely been abstract work that I have found to be completely moving where I'll stare at it for you know two hours <laughs> yeah I love abstraction yeah yeah, yeah. But it's been pretty mixed but music has still been something that can like move me way more, even though I'm not a musician. I try to be, but I am just inherently tone deaf. I just. <laughs> I think Renee was saying something that, that the language of music is is more of a 
primitive language than the language of vision of visual mm. it's more base somehow and that's why it, i can see that yeah that's yeah. cool <laughs> Isn't that interesting to think about yeah definitely well i'm going to leave you on that and uh let's uh you know get together again i'll i'll, I'll uh is there a time that's good for you for doing that bi-weekly uh cypress college thingy um anytime Day. pretty much you're around most are you are you, you but you're working at are you are working or not working right now um currently no i actually just got the email or the i was just in the the meeting this morning that they basically laid us off on furlough okay um so yeah i'm not gonna be going back to work until like may wow cool all right a lot of rental cars then. yeah <laughs> joking <laughs> well thanks frank um Thank do you, you want um people to if people are interested in your what you make you know do they do they find you on instagram or somebody wants to hire you or whatever yeah a, um i have my email link to my uh photography instagram page uh, it's at uh, a vivid life um and I can never remember my Twitter, but it's linked <laughs> to my Instagram. <laughs> Everything's linked cool. to that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, I'll see you on one of these uh, big group chats. Yeah. I look forward to and it. I, I'm going to hit up Michael too, uh, to see if he can, you know, I can bore him a little bit with a few artsy, artsy, <laughs> artsy questions. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely have a long, longer conversation. Right. Do that. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Uh, okay, well, take take care, dude. All right, you too. Thank you.